0: I want to welcome everybody to the Crossing Church. Whenever I was back there, you know, Cody said that we're kind of down on numbers today. Uh, right when we first started that first song, there was like nobody on this side. And I was going to come up here like, remember the Titans, and be like, right side, strong side, you know, and just get us going in a good mood today. But luckily, we filled in a little bit on this side, so it's not so awkward to be on this side today. But if you still feel a little peer pressure, you can slide over to the majority if you want, and I'll be totally fine with that. Um, I want to welcome everybody to the Crossings Church. I am, uh, I'm not the normal guy up here. I'm the campus minister here at the Crossings. Uh, our, our main pastor, Wes, he's actually down in Arkansas with his family, hopefully bringing me back some deer meat, but we'll see whenever he gets back home. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he tends to go down there with his family for the holidays, and uh, I usually preach during the holidays, and, and I love it because my family is all local and we're all here. And so I just want to welcome you guys to the Crossings Church. Uh, it's a great time to be um, in uh, the church, uh, and there's a lot of exciting things going on within our church, whether you're visiting with us or you're a part of us, uh, you know that there's some cool things going on here. Um, can we turn that, the, this main spotlight down a little bit? I don't know if you can or not. I'm not up here a lot. Maybe it's just me being blinded by the light. Um, I'm going to try to, yeah, or give me a hat. Somebody give me a hat. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, uh, I want to I I welcome everybody here. Um, who's still got Christmas stuff to do? Who's like hasn't even dipped in halfway? You got more parents, more, more in-laws, more uh, just it didn't work out. All right, so we still got handfuls of people in here. Who's like done? Who's ready for summer already? All right, there it is. Yeah, I'm like that. Once, once Christmas Day is done, I'm like, I'm ready for warm weather. But it's been pretty warm, hasn't it, right? Like I can't, I can't complain over the last couple days because my kids were like, I took a nap on my trampoline on Saturday or on Friday. Like that's how warm it was outside. I told my kids to go get me a pillow and blanket and I kicked them off the trampoline and then I just took a nap on my, on my trampoline because it was so nice outside and I'm not used to this warm weather, but man, it is, it has been, it's been awkward, but like I'm, I'm kind of okay if we don't get snow this year, you know, like Christmas is done. There's, there's no point, right? There's no need, but like the little kids are like, no, 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 there's still school days we can miss, right? You guys are all about school days, right? You want that snow, don't you? Yeah, Ronnie's like, I want the snow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm about done with it. You know, I'm just ready for the summer because there's so many things that we do. Um, but usually after Christmas is done, we, 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 tend to, we tend to push the message of baby Jesus until next year again, right? And as you can tell, we still have our trees up. We still have our, you know, our holidays campaign we're doing. If you looked at your sermon notes inside of your bulletin, you can see that we're going to do another sermon um, based on the holidays, and for some people, they'd walk into a church and say, you know, why? Why, why, would, we, why would we still talk about these things, the presence, the gifts? You know, for, for, some, for some preachers, they may say, well, it just fell on the 26th, so it just makes sense to just finish out a sermon series. Some people will say, well, so close to the end of the year, so let's just have the series go through the end of the year. But when you really look at the message of Jesus and you look at what um, the birth of Jesus symbolizes and means, it goes much well beyond December 25th. It goes, it goes into a lifestyle because that one moment, that one birth, is supposed to pave the way for all Christianity. It's supposed to pave the way for everything that we do throughout our lives. And so why would we only want to focus a day or a week's service on this message when it's so important to be infused into our day-to-day lifestyle? And so what we're going to do is we're going to do, another, we're do another, another sermon based on the holidays, dealing with this holidays of, of what the holidays itself, the play on words of the holidays, that gets us into a daze of just, you know, this is what the holidays are known for. Christmas trees, stockings, Christmas lights, you know, these giant snowman inflatables, just all these things, presents, you know, everything that the holidays in American culture represents gets us in this days of really what it's meant to stand for in our day-to-day life. And so that's why we want to deal with these holidays and to get us out of that days, to get us out of that funk, to really remember and realize what the message of the cross was for, what the message of the birth of Jesus was for, and how that can help us through our day-to-day life. And so what we're going to talk about today is just who Jesus really is and what he came in the world to be. And I think that the culture that we live in and, and the people that have surrounded us have kind of taken that image of Jesus and they've taken the view Of what Jesus really means and what he really came here to do and they've twisted it a little bit and they've distorted it a little bit and in some areas they've even exaggerated the message of Jesus coming you know because we see Jesus as a lot of different characters in our day-to-day life or you see people who would view him this way right the first one is you would see Jesus as a buddy right people view Jesus as a buddy oh he's just my buddy he's just my friend like We'll go to the clubs together, like, we'll go do all these party things together, like, we, he's, he's my homeboy, right? You guys probably seen people with the crazy tats, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And it's got, like, all the cool, like, with the, with the old school Jesus, like, with the praying hands, like, Jesus is my homeboy, like, on the, on the shirt, and you see all that, and people kind of have, have, have marked Jesus' character as just a buddy-buddy, you know? We're on cool, casual terms, kind of like your friends, Right? We see each other at school. We see each other in the workplace. Like, we're on, we're on a cool friend-to-friend basis, but it doesn't go much further than that. And so that's the first kind of idea that people see in Jesus. I don't necessarily see that in the Scriptures. We see another one, though. We, we, we call Jesus our safety net at times or our good luck charm. You know, eh, I'm, I'm not really going to, like, approach or, like, pursue Jesus and to a full extent, but like if crap happens, yeah, I got him to fall back on, right? Those Hail Mary prayers when you forgot to study late at night, you know? God, please just let me get an A. Please just, you know, I'll, I'll take a B. I'll take a B. Just, do, just make sure I know I messed up or certain areas in our lives and certain bad things happen, we jump in, we, we, we're like, well, we got Jesus to fall back on. But he's not really there consistently 24-7, but he's always there to fall back on when life kind of hits the fan, Right? And we see that a lot of people view Jesus that way. Jesus can become a religious artifact. Where we look at Jesus and say, oh, it's just this holy figure. And we choose to look at different areas where we can worship him or pursue him. But in the grand scheme of our entire lives, he's not present. Oh, Jesus is a place, I will go to the temple, I will go to the church, I will go to these places to approach Jesus because I know that's where Jesus I know that's where Jesus lies, in these areas, in these places. I'll go to, I'll go to small group. I'll go to um, a, a late night service. I'll go to Wednesday night youth group, wherever it may be. I'll go to these areas to pursue Jesus because I know I can find Jesus there. But then once I leave, he's not really going to be around me. So I view him as something that's, that's, that's temporary in certain situations. But as far as a lifestyle, he, he's not really going to be around me. Um, you know, lastly, I think this is a, a very popular one too, is that people view Jesus like a meal ticket. They view him as their, this is my way to heaven. You know, it's through Jesus. If I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. So all I got to do is just believe in this dude and, and I'm going to go to heaven one day and that's the end of it. So this is just my meal ticket. I don't really have to do anything with it. I just know I got this ticket punched and you can, you can fill in the blank with whatever that ticket the requirements for that ticket. Maybe it's that you feel like you need to get baptized. Maybe it's that you feel like you need to pray just in your heart. Maybe it's that you feel like you just need to get your butt in church every Sunday. Whatever it is that you feel like that contingency is on that ticket to receive that ticket, once you have taken that ticket, you just got in your back pocket, and you're good to go. No more relationship, no more sacrifice, no more anything. You got the ticket, and you're ready to go to heaven. And I think in some grand scheme, all of those characters are true, of the character of Jesus, but none of those reasons are the reason why Jesus came. And so when we look at the Jesus in the the Bible, when we look at who Jesus really is, and when we know and allow Jesus to become who he really is and why he came here to be here, it will change everything in our lives. It will change the trajectory of how we live, how we act, who we associate with, what we do, our purpose. Everything that we do will be transformed if we can truly understand and realize who He is and why He came in the world. And that's what we're going to dig into today. You know, it says in verse Luke 2 8 through 11, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. So right off the bat, the first point that we see is made clear through the scripture that Jesus came in the world to be my Savior. Jesus came in the world to be my Savior. It says there in verse verse 10 and 11, it says, I bring you good news, the Savior has been born. And we've really got to wrap our minds around this. You know, in Matthew verse 1, or chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, while you know, it says, while Joseph was turning the matter over to his mind, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What she has conceived is conceived through the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son whom you call Jesus, the Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph was, he had a weird predicament. We all, we all kind of know the story, but if you don't, you know, you, you, there was no such thing as premarital sex back then because when, when that happened there, it was an outcasting. There, there was, it was easy you could stone the woman if you wanted to to kill her. Um, there would be an exiling and, and, and pushing out of, of the civilization like it wasn't the way that we deal with it in the culture today. and so when, when Mary's pregnant and Joseph is in this position as, as being spoken for her, he's, he's kind of put himself in a tough spot because' like I can I can marry her, I can, I can choose to not even pursue her, I can let the, I can let the, the town stone her. I, so he's put into a weird, trivial place, and he's not sure what he's going to do. And so what he does is he gives us over to his mind, what it says there, and you know, obviously he goes to sleep and he has a dream, and the angel comes in and tells him these things, and he says, listen, don't be afraid, I've done this. You know, God comes and says, I've done this. This, is, this baby has been conceived, not through another man, but through the Holy Spirit, but there is an importance to this baby. It's not just gonna be another baby. This baby is gonna save people. And so with that message, Joseph chose chose to stay with Mary. But we have to understand that idea that Jesus came to save us. In one way, shape, form, or another, you have to acknowledge the fact that when you look through scripture, it is 100% clear that Jesus came to this world to save us. And he did that through dying on the cross. And so what we're actually going to do today is we're going to start off by taking communion. Um, Because I want us to get our minds centered on this idea that Jesus truly came to this world to save us, to give us a hope, to give us a future, to give us a different life, to be able to put our trust in somebody else to protect us from these things. You know, that word Savior in verse 11 up in Luke 2, that word Savior, the Greek translation of that word literally means one who makes safe, one who delivers, one who protects from harm. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When it says the Savior will come, he's literally saying in that, Greek, that translation that he came to protect us from the sin of the culture of the world that we live in to give us an opportunity to have a relationship with him. So what I want to do is I'm going to say a prayer here in a second, and we're going to have communion passed around. And we're going to take that, I want you guys to really center on this idea of a, a a baby was literally born to give us this opportunity that God sent a son, His own son, His only son, here to this earth to give us hope, to give us an opportunity to be saved. So in that way, we can look at this message of this. If we know that, and that's so true, then what else can we get out of the sermon today? What what is that meant to drive us with as we move forward in the sermon? So let me say a prayer. We're going to start passing communion, and I'll come back up, and we'll we'll finish up the sermon. God, I just want to thank you uh, for this time uh, to to be able to take, you know, the bread and 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 the juice, and look at the symbolism of what they stand for for your body on the Christ uh, on the cross, Lord. Um, so many times I forget about that, especially during the Christmas season, Lord. I get so wrapped up in the culture; um, it's 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 very easy to sit here and drink the Kool-Aid of society of right now, just looking at presents, looking at toys, looking at, and and to just drown you out. But God, I know it's so important to remember what your son did on the cross. I know it's so important to look at Jesus and recognize what that should really mean to Christmas and to remember and be more grateful than any other gift that I could receive on Christmas Day, the gift of an opportunity to be saved. And so God, I want to pray for that. And I pray um, that today we can really get something out of this lesson to help us remember that Christmas is much more than what the culture has told us, but it's, it's, it's more about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Did you guys hear that voice of an angel and wonder who that was? That was my wife. <laughs> my beautiful wife. She loves it when I embarrass her and call her out. Oh yeah, she already walked out. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just, I sound so good. I sound so good. <laughs> no. Um, no, I love my wife and I love when she sings that song. Um, so when we hear this idea of Jesus being our Savior, what we can get through the Scripture is it's probably pretty clear, and it's, it's, it's very clear that most people embrace this side of Jesus. Most people embrace the saving Jesus. It just makes sense. You know, suppose that you're out in the ocean and you have, uh, I don't know, you're on a boat or a yacht or something like that, and it's, 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 been, it's been damaged and it's going down, right? And a lifeboat comes by. And is like, hey, listen, we're going to save you. You know, we have lifesavers that we're throwing out. We have life jackets. We're going to be able to get you on our ship and and take you and and help you. Nobody's going to look at that situation and be like, no, we're good. We're good. We got it. Because clearly you don't. (laughs) Your boat's going down. There's nothing else around you. Nobody's going to be able to help you. And so whenever somebody gives you, you're also not going to be like, why are you here? I didn't ask for you to come and help me. Like, I would rather just sit here and drown than have somebody help me. Like, nobody's going to have those two responses. So it makes it very obvious that when we look at Jesus and the character of who he is in the scriptures, and he says, listen, I am that lifeboat. I am that life jacket. Your life is going down the drain. Your life is headed in a bad direction. You don't understand even some of the areas that you're getting yourself into, but I am here to save you. It makes sense that most people would say, I acknowledge that. <laughs> you know, I I appreciate that, and I will take advantage of that. I will believe in that side, and I will I will I will accept that. Right. So this isn't a big struggle. I think most people know this about the scripture. It's the second point that we struggle with the most, because it, for our point number two, it's made clear through scripture that Jesus came in the world to be my Lord. Now this is the side where we get a little we get a little division, or we get a little non-acknowledgement through our culture of what the scripture has to say about who Jesus is and why he really came. Listen to this in Luke 1, 31 through 33. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, talking to Mary here again, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now now we get this idea and this character side of Jesus that we're not necessarily just talking about a savior. We're not talking about somebody who would sacrifice. But now we're talking about a Lord. We're talking about a king. We're talking about somebody who's in control. You know, the word Lord itself, you know, many wealthy farmers and merchants who had lots of servants or even, or even back in the time whenever there were, were slaves and they, and they had many people over, over them. When you had control over a lot of people, you were called a Lord. And it's no different in Scripture when Jesus comes in or when the angel comes in and tells Mary, hey, this, this kid, this baby is going to be a Lord. They're going to be in control over a lot of people. And We have to acknowledge that idea, but unfortunately, it's also clear when you look in the culture and you look into the world today that most people reject this reigning Jesus or this, this lording Jesus, if you want to put it in that kind of context. But when you look in the world, you can see that there are a lot of people into the church and out of the church. If you look in in culture, if you look in social media, if you look on the TV, if you look in sports, you see it all over the place. Jesus is my my Savior. Jesus is my blah, blah, blah. And you see these tattoos all over the place. You see the cross tattooed everywhere, right? You see people that whenever they have interviews after big sports games, who do you want to thank? Oh, I want to thank God first and foremost because everything he's done in my life, he's blessed me. But then you look at their life, right? You look at the pop star's life, you look, at, you look at the music industry, and you look at the life of all these rappers that have tattoos all over their bodies of, of Jesus and all these things. You look at the sports world, and you see all, all, the, all the club incidents and all the DUIs and all, and all the, the battery charges, and you see everything that goes on in these people's lives, but yet they say they know who God is and that he's a savior. It's very clear that the world rejects this side of Jesus. It's very clear that they don't remember or they don't even know that this is a character trait of why Jesus was sent to this earth for us. Once again, go back to the ocean. You know, suppose you're on a yacht, and this time your yacht's not sinking. It's a clear, blue, sunny day. You know, it's a nice, warm summer day. N- no tides, no, no nothing, nothing to be afraid of. There, it's just a perfect day, right? And you're just kind of having your, you know, you're having your heyday. And a boat comes by this time. Gives you the same opportunity. Hey, I'm here, I'm here to save you. I'm going to throw out some lifeboats. I'm going to throw, throw out some life jackets. And we're gonna, we, can, we can tie your boat up and we can drag you in this direction. It's not the direction you're going in, but it's the same direction that we are going to take you earlier. Well, now you see a lot of people that aren't saying thank you. You see a lot of people that aren't going to say, I accept your help. You see a lot of people saying, I'm fine because I'm in control. Nothing's wrong with my ship. Nothing's wrong with my life. Nothing's wrong with my direction. I don't don't need you to control where I'm going. I don't need your help. That's the world we live in. That's the view of Christianity that we see so, so often. And we have to realize that we have to have both of these in our life. We have to have not just a Jesus that's willing to save, but we have to accept the Jesus that's going to be Lord in our lives as well. Look at King Herod. You know, Herod rejected Jesus as Lord. It says in Matthew 2, 1 through 6. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during Herod's kingship, the band of scholars arrived from the east. They asked around, Where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of Jesus? We observed a star in the sky that signaled his birth. We are on pilgrimages to worship him. When their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified, and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religious scholars and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly It is you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bring up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd and rule my people. You know, you don't get the, the complete image of Herod here and, and all the bad things that he, he did, but you can, tef- you can definitely tell there's a fear in Herod. It says he was terrified because he had heard that there was a threat to his throne. A king was coming. But Herod, in in Scripture, was known to be a Christian. He was known to be somebody who, who believed in Jesus, who believed in God. Now, he didn't necessarily know that Jesus was the Son of God at this time, but he believed in God. Yet he wasn't willing to accept him as a Lord over him because he thought he was the Lord of this physical earth. And so we see that right off the bat that even somebody like Herod, who had such great authority, was in fear. The religious also rejected Jesus as Lord. The religious rejected Jesus as Lord. Because it didn't say it was just him. It said not Herod alone. And look at this in Luke 19, verses 12 through 14. It says, Once a ruler planned a journey to a distant country to take throne of that country and then return home. Before his departure he called 10 of his servants and gave them each about 3 months wages use this money to buy and sell until our return after he departed the people under his rule despised him and sent messengers with a clear message we don't want this man to rule over us you know what he's saying here essentially is a parable of what it's like to be Jesus and to have religious people around you just like a ruler gives responsibility to his his people he says all right so this king or this, this ruler at this time comes and says, hey, you 10 people, here's some money, It's three months wages, take care of my stuff while I'm gone. And then the dude leaves and they're like, "Ah, we don't, we don't like that. We don't want to do what that guy says. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And he uses that parable to illustrate that Pharisees did the same thing with the message of Jesus. The message of God. The Pharisees would come in and say, listen, we have all this stuff, but we don't don't accept who Jesus is. We don't think that he's the Lord. We're not going to do things his way. And just like Herod, just like the world, the religious are not any less guilty of how we view Jesus as Lord in our lives. So we have to understand that people tend to, to, to reject Jesus as Lord, and it doesn't matter if you're in the church or not. And when you put these two points together, you come to the conclusion of this third point. It's kind of like a math problem today. I hope you guys like math. (laughs) Um, But point A and point B equals point C here. And the third point is it's made clear that Jesus will save me if I trust him to be my Lord. It's made clear that Jesus will save me if I trust him to be my Lord. You see, you can't have A and not have B And think you can get to see here. It all comes together. In Romans 10, 11-13, it says, Scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. There's no difference between Jews and Greeks. They all have the same Lord who gives riches to everyone who calls on him. So then, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, this is one of the most distorted, thrown, torn-apart verses in all of Scripture because of how people interpret it. You see, because people read this verse and they look at it, it says, whoever believes in Him will not be ashamed. Other translations say, whoever believes in Him will receive eternal life. Whoever believes in Him will be saved. A lot of different translations say that. And so what people do is they, they tend to find this verse and they justify an entire lifestyle because of one sentence. They say, the Bible says if I believe in God, I will be saved. And that's how they live life. But what you don't understand, and if people actually did their homework and they looked into Scripture, they'd realize that there's one key word in this sentence that explains the entire idea of what the Bible is. And it's the word "believe." You see, because... I'm a, I'm a PE major, so I'm not. I'm not. a am not an English scholar. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a theologian. I, I don't claim to ever be, and I don't think I ever will be. Um, and so I like reading things at face value. My wife. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I don't know if this is an embarrassing thing or bragging thing. My wife. I am. She read 160 books this year, in one app. On one app. Right. And she is like. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, okay, are you reading like, C spot, run, next page. C spot, jump, next page. Does anybody have that? Okay, that's book number one. No, she's reading like novels, man. And I'm like, I'm, I, I can't even fathom, but I, she's like, that's like her superpower, because she can like lay in bed and go and she's like reading through a book. I can't do that stuff, right? I can't read on that level. I don't know, I think I have like a level of like a junior high kid. Um, and that's not to, like, diminish you junior high kids. That's just really where I'm at with reading. Like, I don't, I don't, ex- I don't understand it well enough. I would rather just say, oh, that, that looks like a cool series. Ah, if it's that cool, they're going to make a movie someday. I'm going to watch the movie for sure. But I'm not going to read through those things. Lord of the Rings, thank you. You know, I, I really wanted to read Lord of the Rings. But then the movies came out. I was like, why? Why would everyone want to read them? Um, but you, you hybrids, you movie... TV pe- or you movie book people are like, "You need to go back and read the books and that's what is thinking right now too. right? Yeah, you need to read the books. And so I, that's what I'm like. I 'm like, I cannot fathom digging in and figuring out more and more of language and, and, and reading more and more through things to get a bigger picture. But if you're going to be a Christian, if you 're going to really serve God, if you're really going to accept Jesus, you're gonna to have to do your homework. And your homework doesn't mean just reading the Bible. It means getting into the Bible and understanding what it really is and what it means and what, it, what it's called to say. And one word of believe for me in my junior high language in the way that I was raised would read that and say, that is just an acknowledgement of who God is. Whoever believes will be saved, my understanding is all I have to do is just acknowledge that God is there. But that is not what the sentence stands for. That is not what the word believe in the Greek translation stands for. That is not the principle that should be applied through my character when I understand who Jesus is. You see, to believe in something, the Greek translation translates that word more to trust than the word belief. When you think about trusting someone, you don't necessarily acknowledge that they're a trustworthy person. For example, if some random stranger walked in that door, would you trust them to take your kids for a couple days? Probably not, right? Unless you're Audrey, <laughs> when she can let that stranger to her house. I will talk about that in a different time. But she's not here to embarrass her. Uh, it's a funny babysitting story. Um, but you wouldn't just necessarily trust somebody because you acknowledge that they're alive and existent, right? You would take the time to get to know them. You would take the time to associate with them. You would live with them. You would spend time in their their time. You'd have a relationship with them. And through that time and that effort, you would would find an understanding if this is a trustworthy person. The same can be said about our relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to just believe in God. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus came and died on the cross. But to be saved means you have to trust him. And to trust Jesus means you have to acknowledge that he is your Lord and trust his leadership and his direction over you. And it's made clear that there's no other way. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a question today, and next week we're going to hit the other two. There's three main questions if we're going to look at this idea about Jesus being Lord and Savior. Three big, big important questions with application, with understanding, with context... But today we're only gonna dig into number one. So I'd encourage you guys to come back next week to talk about these other two big, big questions. But the first and most important question that we need to talk about, Jesus being our Lord and Savior, is what happens if I embrace Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord? What if if I go along with culture, and I look at what's going on in the world, and and I act just like everybody else? If I say I believe in Jesus, but yet I don't accept his lordship in my life. What, what is going to happen? You see, looking back at Christmas this week, um, you, you see like the crazy Christians, right? That are like so anti-Christmas. You, have you guys seen those people like whether they are in the news or in articles and being like the, the, the trees are satanic and they're, like kicking trees down and like they're, they're destroying everything like this is not from God, this is, this is, this is not Jesus, that's... It's just a tree, you know, and I'm doing this because there are some little kids up here terrorizing these trees. I just want to do it myself because I saw how fun it was, you know, and so they're just, I'm going to do some more. They're just like, oh, I hate Christmas. It's just terrible. These trees, it's just, we need this money to go into something else instead of the church, you know, and, and they find different things that they do, and they look at Christmas, and they say, that is not Christmas. That's Satan, right? You see that, don't you? I look crazy, but it's so true, right? You have seen those people. Santa's from the devil, you know, like it's everything is terrible. Yes, it probably comes from the South. Santa's from the devil. It sounds like a uh, water boy, right? Um, but yet that is what people do to Christmas time, isn't it? Oh, I don't, I don't associate with Christmas because it, it just takes away from the message of Christ. It's not about baby Jesus. It's about Santa Claus and presents and blah, 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 right? And we look at that, and people view Christmas in a, in a hypocritical way. They say it's such a hypocrisy to be a Christian and to experience Christmas. And I stand here to tell you that I believe that that is not the problem. Because I put a tree up in my house, my kids open presents, they have stockings, but they know why we celebrate Christmas. And I don't think that it's because I let my kids engulf themselves into a cultural thing that's fun for them that they can still not understand the true meaning of Christmas, because they do. I think the problem is that most Christians, the hypocrisy doesn't lie in the Christmas versus Jesus being born. The hypocrisy lies in Christians going to church and embracing the Savior and not the Lord. And so many Christians choose to look at that idea of culture and say, no, we, we want to find a scapegoat to not really deal with our own problems of lordship. We want to deal with something else that we can throw away. And we have to understand that if we embrace Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, there are things that are going to happen because of the hypocrisy. And the first one is that we will live a life of duplicity. We will live a life of duplicity. And so, oh, man, I, was, I went on a rage there, didn't I? Lost my mic and everything. I could have made some cool sound effects, right? Like, like Godzilla when I was taking those trees down. <laughs> that had have been cool. I'll let Wes do that next week. Um, I'll live a life of duplicity. And that duplicity word is just another word, like, hypocritical, double life, two lives. King Herod was a great example of this. You see, because the King Herod that we know in the Bible is a pretty bad guy, right? But when you look at what he did in history, he did some pretty good things. You know, uh, King Herod in his time as king, he doubled the size of the temple whenever he was in kingship. He doubled the size of their temple. He built numerous palaces and fortifications to strengthen what their kingdom represented and stood for. He kept the the area of Palestine at relative peace and the peace within his neighbors. He wasn't like a bloodthirsty king that was just on a rage and a warpath. He was willing to sit down and create peace to build a healthy, great kingdom. When a famine had devastated Israel, he purchased food for his starving people with money from his own treasury. You know, you see most times kings would not help the common people. They would choose to protect themselves. But King Herod was a king that was willing to give his money to his people to make sure that, that... there, there wasn't a famine and there, there wasn't poverty. But King Herod also killed every baby, boy, child in Bethlehem after Jesus, died, after Jesus was born. King Herod also, when his 16-year-old brother-in-law tried to make a name for himself, Herod, King Harold held the boy's head under water until he died. A couple years before his death, he had rumors that two of his other sons were engaged in a plot to kill him, and he had them executed. After hearing about that, it's recorded in history that Caesar himself commented, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. King Herod executed around 45 of his competitors that tried to take his throne. You see, when you look at Herod's life, there's a lot of good things that happened with King Herod and a lot of good things that he did for his people and his time here on earth. But there's also a lot of crap that happened. There's also a lot of negative stuff that happened. You know, the Nazis created a new Jesus in World War II time. That they had they had they had brought in scholars, they had brought in philosophers, and they had they had created a new Bible with an Aryan Jesus who was not really a Jew, but he was an anti-Jew, and he was on a warpath to kill Jews. And this was something that was mass-produced and given to German soldiers, given to the German uh, just German people in general to help justify, to make them feel like what they were doing was right in the eyes of God, that the Holocaust was biblical, that that's, they had created a new Jesus to justify everything that they were doing, and they claimed to be Christians this entire time. Did you understand? I, never, I never thought about that. The Nazis claimed to be Christians during the entire World War II era. And we look at that now in history, years, years later, and we're like, that's so messed up. But how is that any different than what we do today? How is that any different than when we choose to believe in, in Jesus, but yet we don't do what he tells us to do? You know, when the Bible defines sin, he doesn't say there's there's this severity of sin, that there's this tear, you know, killing Jews at the top and you know, lying and cheating and stealing is at the bottom, it's not as bad, and you you'll build your way up to the bad stuff one day. That's there's no hierarchy of sin in the Bible. God says, You you obey me or you don't. And so when you when you look at that and you see that, it does it does set a higher precedence on what double lives look like. And it makes us question, are we really pursuing God as a Lord? Or just as a savior because if not we're living a double life it says in matthew 23 1-4 it says jesus spoke to the people and his followers he said the teachers of the law and the pharisees have the authority to tell you what the law of moses says so you should obey them do everything they tell you to do but their lives are not good examples for you to follow they tell you to do these things but they don't do them things themselves now how hard would that be like think for, for some of you adults that have like gotten into your trade or have gotten into a work environment and you, you have a lot of knowledge and you have a lot of skill, how, how would that feel for you to have all this experience and knowledge of everything you do and, and you're sitting in a room with your coworkers or peers and you hear somebody stand up and say, listen, that person who is you, they have so much information. You need to listen to what they're telling you because it's so good. But don't live like them. Like, just soak, soak that in for a second. Like, whenever I was a teacher and I was in the education and I was doing all this stuff through SIUE, like, all the time that I had spent studying and researching and applying, and I finally get on the workforce, and I finally become a teacher in a school district, and then I hear somebody stand up and say, hey, he's got a lot of knowledge because he went to school and did that stuff, so you guys need to listen to what he's saying, but don't, don't follow his example. Don't live like him. I would sit here and be like, what am I doing with my life then? If that's how people view me, if that's how life is. But yeah, that's exactly how Jesus talked to the Pharisees. That's exactly how Jesus talked to religious people. And I think so many times, if we looked at our lives, when we think about our skill sets, yeah, we're pretty good at those things. But when we think about our relationship with God, I think if we take an honest look at our lives, a lot of us aren't too far off from that, Right? A lot of times we can come to church and we can, we can think that we have things great and we think that we're, we're right with God as far as the Savior side, but would you want people to follow your lifestyle outside of this building? Would you guys want people to follow your example in the way that you talk to your wife or talk to your husband? How you guys talk to your parents? What you watch on your social media? Would you, would you think that Jesus would say the same about you? Or do you think Jesus would be like, no, no, he's, he's different, she's different. You can follow that lifestyle. You can watch what they watch. You can listen to what they listen to. You can, you, can, you can handle relationships the way they handle relationships. Because that's exactly what Jesus says will happen in this duplicitous life. It says in Matthew 23, 29-32, it says, How terrible for you, you hypocrites. He's talking to the Pharisees again. You make fine tombs for prophets and decorate the monuments of those who live good lives. And you claim that if you had lived during the time of your ancestors, you would not have done what they had done and killed the prophets. So you actually admit that you're the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go on then, finish up what your ancestors started. You know, and once again, these, these Pharisees are sitting here and being like, hey, we're, we're, we're building these great monuments for, these, for our ancestors these people. But yet in the, same, in the same sentence, you're saying these are such great people. But man, if I lived back then with them, like, I wouldn't have done what they did. But Let's build these things up anyway. Let's make them real nice and pretty. But man, if that was me back then, that wouldn't, have been, that wouldn't have been what I did. How double life is that? Like, how hypocritical is that? You know, and that's exactly what he's saying will happen when we choose to look at Jesus as a Savior, but not as a Lord. Oh, yes, yes, I believe in God. I believe in God. But I don't want to do what he's telling me to do. But I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to show up. But I ain't going to bring him home with me. That's the same thing that's going on here, and that's what will happen if we embrace Jesus as Savior, but as not as Lord. The second thing is that my life will damage the cause of Christ. So not only will this affect my life, but it will damage the entire purpose of what Jesus came to do. Matthew 23, 13 and 15 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter... Nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child as hell as you are. You see, you can damage the entire purpose of what Jesus came here to do, because that's exactly what happens whenever more and more Christians walk into the church. As people walk in and they walk out saying they're Christians, but their lifestyles aren't like that at all, and christianity has been completely transformed not many christians devote themselves to the bible there are a lot of christians and i can say this firsthand because i work on a college campus i spend time with college students there are a lot of people who say that they're a christian who say they know who god is but yet when i sit down to study the bible with them they have no idea how to read a bible they have no idea how there's different books and how there's different chapters and how there's different verses and how to navigate through those things. And so it's very confusing to me to wonder how in the world they've come to know who Jesus is but not know Scripture. The only answer that I have is that somebody or something in their life has changed and damaged the view of who Jesus really is. That was it for me when I was a kid. I didn't grow up in church. I mean, I, I came to church as a kid, but it was because this old couple would come pick me up, because my mom was a bartender, and she was either hungover, or she worked super late nights on Saturdays, and so me and my little sister got to go to church because of some, some really, really old couple that just lived nearby, and they knew who we were, and so they'd pick us up, so on Sunday mornings at like 9.30, we'd hear the horn, we'd get out, we'd go in the car, and we'd go to church. But never once as a kid was I, was I, was I pushed to, to get into God's word. Never once was I encouraged to, to look and see who he, who he was myself. It was, hey, this is who God is. Hey, this is the fun side of God. Hey, this is the coloring. You know, let's color all these pages and, and let's just have a good time. And as I grew older and I got more involved in the youth ministry and within that church, it was the same stuff. It wasn't like, okay, now you can read. Let's read some stuff. It wasn't, okay, now you can do. And that's one of the things I really do admire about this church is I truly believe that this is a church that we don't have an agenda to have a culture of what the crossing stands for, and we just want people to convert to the crossings. I truly believe that this is a church that says, listen, we're not trying to create crossing disciples. We're trying to create disciples. And the only way to do that is to open up the Bible and do what it says. If you don't want to do that, this may not be the best place for you. If you do want to do that, this is a good place to be. You know, but so many times people have have came into our church and they say, "I have an idea of who Jesus was before I knew any of you guys, and this is what I believe." But it contradicts what the scriptures say, so I don't really want to be a part of church because, like, I want to believe what I've always been told and what I've always been taught. And then that person goes on and becomes a youth leader in another church, and they push it the same way that it's always been taught to them. And then you see what I'm saying here; it just recreates a cycle with with the next generation that this isn't really the way that you pursue Christ and it damages the cause of Christ. In Romans 2:23 through 24. You are so proud of knowing God's laws, but you dishonor him by breaking them. No wonder the scriptures say that the world speaks evil of God because of you. You see you guys have an influence whether you like it or not with the next generation. And you're either going gonna to help show them what it looks like to have a relationship with God or you're not. You're going to either show them that God can be a Savior or you're going to show them that God can be a Lord. Or you can show them that God can be both. And I hate bringing it up, but that's why this last point is so important. If you embrace Jesus as Savior but not as Lord, I will be doomed on Judgment Day. There's no easy way to talk about this. But once again, I believe we, we belong to a church that talks through Scripture and doesn't talk through sugarcoating who Jesus really is. And at times this stuff needs to be talked about because it's the Word. It's not my agenda. It's not our church's agenda. It's what the Bible has to say. It says in Matthew 7, 22-23, it says, Many will say to me on that day when I judge them, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and driven out demons in your name, and done many, many miracles in your name? And I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who are banished from my presence, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. You see, I like the Amplified version here because it kind of gives us a definition of what those two things are at the end. Because when somebody would say, I never knew you, depart from me, you who act wickedly, a lot of us would say that, oh, I'm not a wicked person, so he's not talking about me there. But well, once again, in my junior high, you know, uh, reading level, I've got to do my homework a little bit. I had to really realize what this verse is really meaning. And the Amplify version does a great job because it brings back some of the Greek translation of the original text of what this means. When it says, depart from me. It's literally saying there will be a disconnect between us and God one day. There will be a banishment of being in a relationship with God on that day. And that wicked side where I'm like, I'm not a wicked person. I wouldn't necessarily, I know most of you guys in here, I wouldn't necessarily say anybody in here is wicked by my definition. But the original Greek translation, disregarding my commands, I'd say a lot of us fall in that category. I fall in that category. There's many times I wake up and I have to, you know, I do something for myself. I don't listen to God's commands. I do what I want to do, whether it be pride or selfishness, you know. I do what I want to do. And in the context of this verse, that makes me one of these wicked people. But even in the midst of my wickedness, in the midst of my not listening to, to Jesus... I still believe he's my savior, but that's not going to be enough on judgment day. And that's why it's so important to talk about this stuff from time to time, you know, because if you haven't been in church in a while, guys, if you're looking at Jesus or you say you've been a Christian for so long, but you look at your life and you know, you've not been listening to God the way that he's been calling you to be. If you've been looking into scripture and you know that that's not the way you've been living life. Guys, I'm, I'm here to tell you, please just look at your life and look and make sure that it matches up with the Savior's side and that you're not doing it yourself. There's a video I want you guys to watch, and this video is a great illustration of what, it, what the struggle is for us, you know, uh, day in and day out. This is this idea of, of who sits on that throne. So let's watch this video real fast, and I'm going to wrap this verse up, or, you know, wrap this lesson up today. Did you talk to her?
1: Oh, well, Lord, not exactly.
0: Well, did you forgive her?
1: Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her?
0: (laughs) Because I asked you to.
1: Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? Well,
0: you shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it.
1: Well, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I mean, you don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem.
0: Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat?
1: Well, yeah, Lord.
0: Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else.
1: Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different.
0: When I asked you to quit your job, you quit.
1: Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it?
0: Uh, I'll give you my answer now.
1: Oh, but, Lord.
0: Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming okay? by here? Yes, well, uh, let's go. Now's your no. chance to talk to no. her. I want you to forgive Lord, her. Lord, you don't
1: understand it. Hey, <laughs> Laura, Hi. It's been Hi. like two wow. weeks since we've had yeah. coffee. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Oh, wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh. Well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah. Everything's great. Uh-huh. All right. Um, I guess I'll just um, see you later, then. Bye. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude?
0: I thought you were going to forgive her.
1: I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord.
0: No, you said that.
1: Okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura,
0: you need to obey. I want you to forgive Cat.
1: But Lord...
0: Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. You see... uh, I think that's the same way that it's going to look on Judgment Day. I really do. You know, we're going to sit here and choose to call Jesus Lord, and we're going to sit here and and, and say that he's Lord here on this earth, but a lot of that lifestyle stuff, we probably do the same way. And what I want you guys to understand is, is no matter where you're at today, no matter how much you feel like you've been on this wicked path or you've been on, you know, not listening to Jesus or you've, you've been in the same situation as this woman in this, in this, this short, um, that there's still an opportunity to change. There's still an opportunity to make Jesus Lord. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus said when he died on the cross, that the promise to have a relationship with him was going to be for every descendant until he came back. And that includes us. And so... What I want you guys to do is, if you guys have your bulletins, there's a communication card. I want you guys to pull that out. And that communication card is just an opportunity to talk about where you're at in life today. Because this, this sermon, showing up to church today, you know, being here, isn't going to mean anything unless you respond to it. It's not going to do anything for your life if you, if, you don't, if you don't choose to have an application throughout the week because of it. It's not going to be able to help anything. And the members of the Crossings Church know that, because if you're a member of this church, you understand what that looks like because you plugged yourself into a community of small groups that helps you guys understand the direction that we have within our church. You see, at the Crossings Church, we plug people into small groups because we understand that this cannot be a -a one-time-a-week thing to help us understand that Jesus is Lord of all. Most churches can tell you Jesus is Lord on Sundays because it gets them out of bed, right? You know, we got to go to church today because if we don't, we'll be judged. You know, Um, well, I think God judges every day, not just Sundays, you know. And so I think our small groups really help people understand like, hey, like this is a day to day thing. This is a relational thing. We get in each other's lives every day to see how things are going. We challenge each other on things that are going on in each other's lives. We hold each other accountable. We, We help give each other grace. We help to give each other love and encouragement. The world sucks. So we need a family of people that don't suck, you know, like we need people in our lives and like, hey man, like that, that sounds like a rough job. My job's rough too, but like at least we can share in this idea that Jesus is our Lord together and we have that relationship with one another and we can encourage each other. So even though the world sucks, I have something that doesn't, you know, good luck being like the world sucks. I can't wait till Sunday. It's only Monday. I can't wait till Sunday gets here. You know, like that's a lot of, that's a lot of the work world we live in or the school world or the drama that we go back to. But we have relationships here. And if you want to know more about that, check on that communication card. I want to know more about small groups. If, you were, if you're like me and you have a junior high reading level you know, like, and you're not very good at it, but like you know that maybe you don't know the scriptures the way that you probably should, maybe check that you'd like a personal Bible study. If you, if you feel you know who Jesus is, but you don't know the Bible, you don't know who Jesus is. And I hate saying that, but it's the truth. God doesn't divinely give us a character of who He is. He doesn't just inspire us in our dreams and inspire us through the culture. That's Satan. Satan's very crafty, and he uses the culture to twist and distort who Jesus really is in our lives. You know, there's a, there's a new uh, you know there's a new theology. It's not really new, but they've newly coined it. It's called self-inspired theology. It's a, it's a type of Christianity, and it's saying I, I believe that God is this because of what I believe. I've, I've self-inspired my version of God in my head, and that's what I choose to follow. And God says, that's not who I am. That's who you think I am. But the only way to really know who I am is through reading the words that I've written out for you to understand who I really am. And if you've never gotten into the Bible, I would challenge, I would challenge to know that you don't really know who God is. It's a bold statement, but I'm glad somebody said that to me one day because I knew who God was. At least I thought I did until I got into God's Word, and I realized there's so much more about Him. So many more things I needed to apply, but also so many more things that He had He had He had waiting for me. So check that you'd like a personal Bible study. It's not It's not an intimidating thing. It's just a couple people will sit down. And we'll have a conversation about. All right, let's read this verse. And what do you think God's trying to get you to communicate here? What What kind of character do you see in God based on these verses? What what kind of things do you think that we could do throughout the week to help us understand that this is? It's not like some organizational sit-downs, you know, classroom session. It's it's sitting around a table with a couple friends that are your age, trying to figure out the same stuff that you are. So check that you like a personal Bible study. If you know if there's anything going on in your life that you just feel like is hindering you from getting to that point where you could have a relationship with God. You know, I know who God is. But it's hard to make them Lord because there's this addiction going on in my life. There's, there's this abuse. There's this, there's this sit-back. There's these things that have happened to me that I, just, I don't ever think I could ever have that. Guys, this is, this is a good church to be in then because there's been a lot of sit-backs and a lot of hiccups in this church. We're, we're a new generation of church, and for what you guys don't really know what that means, um, we don't have deep roots in god's word within this church we don't have deep roots of my mom and dad were christians and their mom and dad were preachers and the you know we we've built something here that we have some of that but the majority of this is broken it's a restoration church we found people in the world who are just like us who have been just as abused just as beat up just as you know we have people in our core leadership that were in prison you know like we have people Within our, within our leadership that have been abused, that have been neglected, that have been the abusers. We have, we have people who have been the alcoholics. We have people that have been through a divorce. We have people that have gone through the world. We, we, don't, we don't have a bunch of Bible scholars that grew up in safe homes and, and have all this education, but they don't have the experience. We actually have the, the exact opposite. We have people who have lots of worldly experience and lots of mess-up stories, and they're trying to learn just like the rest of us are. They're trying to learn God's word and figure out how it applies. And so this, is, this should not be an intimidating place for you guys to be, and I, and I, and I really hope that you guys will, will tap in and fill out those communication cards um, because we want to give you guys something. We give you guys an opportunity, a hope, the things that most of us have received ourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, um, and that's going to give you some time to fill out that card and, uh, and just reflect on the sermon, reflect on some challenges, some application that you'd like to have this week. And I really do encourage you guys to fill out that card. And then we're going to sing a second song. And during that second song, uh, we're going to pass some baskets. And for those baskets, um, that's an opportunity for you to respond with the card, to put that card in there. For our members, we understand that this church building ain't free. you know. And so for our members, that's where our contribution kicks in to help fund the ministries the things we're doing. But if you're visiting with us today, if you don't consider yourself a member of this church, if you're just if you're just here, we don't want any money from you. We we didn't we didn't try to trick you to get into our building to get money out of you guys. And it's not like we're rich and we have like this big savings account, you know, to be able to say something like that. And we we don't think our money's better than yours, but it's we don't have an agenda to to make a lot of cash. We have an agenda to help a hurting world. And so as those passes go by, don't feel intimidated or threatened to just throw money in, you know, because that's not for you. What we encourage you guys to do is just put that card in. So let me say a prayer, um, and then uh, the worship team will come up. We'll sing those songs, and then we'll dismiss for the day. Um, God, I just want to thank you so much uh, for opportunities like this to remember that, that you are not just a Savior. Uh, God, it's so hard at times to remember that. Um, it's so hard to remember that you're a Lord. But God, even in the midst of remembering when you're a Lord, uh, it, it's, it's even harder to apply that and see what that looks like. Um, and so, God, I just pray that throughout the week, throughout the year, um, you know, we can reflect back on this last year and look at, our, look at our, uh, the way that we've approached you as Lord and, and really reflect on, have we really done that? And if we haven't, just look at this new year coming up and say, there's always time for change. There's always time for hope. You, you've sent your son to die so that we can not just acknowledge you as a savior, but to acknowledge you as a Lord as well. And so, God, I pray that we can respond with those cards in the best way that we can. Um, and I pray this in your son's name. Amen.